Welcome to Comets Insider, Jason Shia, along with you. What a week it was for the Utica Comets. Absolutely incredible. We can't wait to share with you the sounds of the games that took place against Laval. It was the play-in round, so you play in for a chance to face Toronto in a best-of-five. Well, they headed into Laval, enemy territory, 10,000 people strong, jam-packed the play spell. It's a tough building to play. Not only that, but the Comets stepped on the ice against a team that had been roaring heading into the playoffs. Laval was the, considered, I think, one of the teams to beat. They were that good. Winning game after game, I think only losing, I think, one game in their last 10 around that number. So they had players from the National Hockey League up to help out their roster in Laval. It was going to be a tough match. That's what everyone believed. And one thing that was talked about a lot was the start of that game, that the expectation was that Laval would come out and Laval would come out strong, and they'd use the crowd in their favor to garner momentum and push the Comets right out of the building. At least that was the storyline heading into that game on Wednesday, April 19th. So we all sat back with great anticipation and watched what took place in that game. Now, the one thing I'd say about the Comets heading into that game was it was the best lineup, I think, top to bottom, that they had put on the ice all year long. All due respect, by the way, Akira Schmidt up in the National Hockey League at the time of recording this, having won a playoff game against New York in overtime that's in Madison Square Garden. But in terms of goaltending, Nico Dawes and Isaac Poulter have been fantastic. Dawes playing some great hockey right now. And then the defense pairs in unison working together quite well. It was a a lineup that had the deepest forward lines that we had seen all year long. So there was a lot to like. And then the puck dropped. And one thing that I was stunned about early on the game that there was just nothing for Laval. No real push. No real surge out of the gate in that game. And I think five, six minutes on, I texted someone who was also there and said, I think we just won the series. And of course, at that point, it was 0-0 because Laval came out and were listless. They were shiftless. It was not a good game at all, and that was shocking for everybody. So what happened to the game? Let's hear it. It started off with Riley Walsh, who is playing his best hockey of his career right now. He started out the scoring. We didn't know then it would be the game winner, but here's Walsh's goal in the first period. This is first the playoffs at 12-21, and a beautiful play made after a long shift by Laval. They didn't get off the ice, and it cost them. This assisted by Howerlick and Grolo, and a one nothing lead for Utica on Wednesday. On the far side, Struble. Kept alive by the Comets. They'll move it back to Riley Walsh. Walsh getting it right back. Walsh is in. Walsh holding back. shot. He scores! Riley Walsh picks up where he left off with the overtime game winner in Syracuse. And it's one nothing. What a beautiful set of hands by Walsh. Dragged it to his backhand in the back of the net. That's why you don't take an extra shift in the offensive zone when you've already been out there for a minute because you're too tired to play defense. 
Yeah, the Lavelle top line didn't really come off the ice, and then they ended up in the D zone, and they were tired. And so while they stood still, Riley Walsh went to work. So a one nothing lead heading in the second period, and then the best line all night was the fourth line. Arnie Talvitti with Sam LeBerge and Tice Thompson, and they connected for a goal here. It'd be a reoccurring theme, keep in mind, when we play you the overtime game winner from Friday night. But here's what it sounded like when Talvitti gave them the insurance marker in the game. Lost the handle, now it's picked up by Heineman. He'll skate in, he's got some support, dropping it back for Dubay. The wrister glanced off a leg and went wide. Tice Thompson, now Talvitti, two on one. Now a three on one, Talvitti firing, he scores! It's two nothing! Arnie Talvitti! And the fourth line puts the Comets up by a pair. Talvitti had options, he decided to shoot it, blocker sided in. 3-11, the time of the goal for Arnie Talvitti. So Talvitti makes it 3-0. You're still playing in the third period. It's a 2-0 lead, but you know you're in enemy territory. And then you need your top dogs to come up with something, right? That's what you need. And so Ryan Schmelzer has been the guy. He wears a C and a sweater for good reason. Schmelzer makes it 3-0 on a lovely pass by Alexander Holtz. And this became a 3-0 game in the second period. The Talvitti goal 3-11 early in the second. And the Schmelzer goal late in the second period. A Essentially the dagger, but here's what it sounded like when Schmelzer got his first of the playoffs. Dawes has made one save, and the Pucks have stuck to him when they haven't, or when there have been opportunities on uh, cross ice uh, chances by Lavelle. They've been cut off. Now they center fired, scores! It's Schmelzer on the perfect feed at three nothing. What a pass! And Schmelzer buries it. Dragged in by Alex Holtz behind the net. He found Schmelzer. Lackadaisical coverage there by Laval Costa. And the Comets are up 3 nothing. Yeah, 3 nothing. And then all that was left was for Schmelzer to put the puck in the empty net in the third period. Teasdale's backhander stopped by Dawes. There's a shot that was blocked in front lane. Down was LaBerge. Here's Schmelzer to the empty net. He scores! Schmelzer puts the dagger in the rocket. And the Comets have a 4-0 lead. Schmelzer's second of the game with 67 seconds left. That'll do it, baby. Yeah, that would do it. Uh, the game was over. The Comets skated away up 4 nothing, And so a chance to put Laval away. And that's what they do in dramatic fashion on Friday night. They left it to two seconds left in the game to tie it up. Riley Walsh makes it two, uh, makes it a 1-1 game with two seconds left in regulation time. Half a second clicked off. Okay, okay. 17.5 back on. Here we go. Face off to Primo's left. Comets win it cleanly. Walsh to Holtz. 11 seconds left. His shot was blocked. He gets it back. Holtz delivers it down low. They move it to Walsh. Five seconds to go. Nemitz. Walsh. Fire it. Oh! The crowd was chanting. They wanted a shot. They knew that it was coming down in the last seconds. Alex Holst gets it up top to Nemich, gets it over to Riley Walsh and just buries it. I don't think Primo saw it. 
1-1. Two seconds left before we head to overtime. And we'd head to overtime, and here's what happened. Howerlick tying up with his man, Schooneman. It comes the other way for Tyler Watherspoon. Bouncer to the left side of Primo. Now on the point for Nemitz. He'll deliver it to Talvetti. This looks like a power play. But it is not. It's five on five continuing here in overtime. Howerlick along the boards. Help on the point. Nemitz has it again. He'll roll it back down the left wing side. It's Xavier Perron twisting and turning. Looking for an outlet. He's got it now in Nemitz. Nemitz waiting. Shooting. Score! Utica wins the game. Utica wins the series. And they go on. Simo Nemec with a great look to Sam LeBurge. Stick down in front. Gets a great tip. And the Comets move on to face the Marlies. Matty Pacheva doing uh, color commentary there. What a moment. I get goosebumps still. Incredible stuff. We're going to come back with an interview with Kevin Deneen, the head coach that was conducted before the series began. That's just how timing worked out. And we also uh, had a conversation uh, as well that we'll uh, play for you coming up. Uh, just great stuff here. Uh, it'll be Zach Hayes with a player interview. And then a lot more after this on Comments Insider. Welcome back on 94.9 K-Rock. Jason Shine, the broadcast booth. Happy to be joined by the head coach of the Utica Comets, Mr. Kevin Deneen. Well, we're recording this before the, the playoffs begin, but let's, let's kind of, we'll do a little bit of a look back, and, and I want to start with the game that took place that we <laughs> I didn't see coming. Maybe you saw it coming from the bench, but the emotion that was displayed on uh, Saturday night in Syracuse, I think, is indicative of what this team is capable of doing. In spite of being down a couple goals in a third period, you could easily just pack it in, but your team pushed even harder and got, I thought, a phenomenal win that I won't forget for a while. Yeah, yeah, there was great character in that. And that's, uh, you know, that's sports, hey. 72 games, there's some games over the course of the year you go, ah, shoulda, coulda, but... Uh, <laughs> I think how you finish and how things move forward into into the second season here, obviously the playoffs, is uh, there's some impact in that. You can make yeah. a lot of adjustments as far as your how you play and what you play, but I think mentality is just such a huge thing. And, uh, hey, come on, in anything you do. So uh, it's a nice confidence uh, feeling going into the week here. And it's a short week for us, and we've got our hands full with a really – intense uh, three-game series, and uh, I certainly feel we're prepared. We're getting healthier, so we've got some quality options, and uh, we're excited about that. Talk about your 400th win. That's, uh, I don't know, did you know it before yeah, the game? That was I didn't. Your... No, okay. no, I didn't. I, I actually didn't know. I, I saw Joe Gambardella waiting around in the lobby. I was like, Joe, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm just waiting for something. So I thought he was grabbing a 12-pack for his buddies in the back <laughs> of the bus, to tell you the truth. And then uh, gave me the puck on the bus, which was a really nice gesture. So, since um, Robbie Russo had also played his 500th game. So uh, yeah. very well uh, uh, appreciated by me uh, to come from your players. And, uh, uh, you know, that's the first I'd heard of it. My kids uh, I took a look at my phone when I got on the bus and my kids uh, acknowledged it uh, uh, to me as well. So, uh, you know, you uh, get to get to experience a lot of highs and lows with them. So there's an emotional connection with all those people as well. Do you stay in touch with a lot of your former players? I do. I do. I look at some guys that are out there, whether uh, a Ryan Shannon who's at uh, Taft School and uh, uh, Bobby Ryan uh, oh, yeah. is, is a guy. And uh, you, you go back, uh, 
whether obviously social media was uh, just a little twinkle in the eye when I got started uh, coaching in, in Portland, Maine. And uh, uh, since then, uh, I think it's always easy to keep in touch with guys, and it's uh, great when they reach out and you get to see a, a Kent Huskins start a coffee shop in, uh, outside of Anaheim and have great success. So it's, uh, you know, I can go, go down memory lane with a lot of, uh, of great names and uh, uh, people along the way. Are there 400 more wins left in your in your? Well, I f- enjoy coming to work every single day. You know, I enjoy the the uh, atmosphere here. And uh, you don't uh, you don't seem like a guy who could just sit back and fish all day. Oh, Maybe in the summer you could. You do know, that. you might uh, you do a little drive by the West Canada Creek up in Barneville. You might find me uh, on the water there. Yeah, you you certainly would have on Sunday there before the big <laughs> soccer game here. But it. Uh, to me, those are the kind of things that you just enjoy. I think uh, as you do mature, you find a little balance in your life. And uh, uh, I think you you realize there's some highs and lows. I think we had an 11-game uh, streak with uh, 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 picking up points in, in that stretch. And we also had some pretty raggedy stretches yeah. this year as well. So I think you add a little balance to your life and you you realize uh, that uh, you've got a lot to impact on people as far as your experiences. And uh, uh, I look forward to uh, to moving forward. So, you know, with the playoffs come an opportunity to really showcase everything great about this team. And there are so many aspects of it I think they do quite excel at. And, and um I'm wondering how do you are you more excited or you get more nervous at this point or are you just even keel like this was game 15? Well, we're still uh, when you and I are talking here, we're still a couple of days before we drop the puck. So I think you're hardcore into preparation uh, mode, and that means you're watching. You've got strong opinions on how your opponent uh, is going to play, how you have to react, how. Uh, you have to have individuals, how they can help uh, the team as a whole. Uh, and I think uh, uh, when you're in that stage, there's just a lot of analysis. And then, you know, all of a sudden as we get closer to the game, you get excited and you get build up. And I think sometimes it's uh, not building too much into it. And I always say that first day of the playoffs, whether, uh, you know, the NHL gets started on Monday night, mm-hmm. Uh, Monday and Tuesday night, and it's probably the most enjoyable year uh, day of the year for me yeah. because the hockey is just so intense and the uh, the emotion is just so sky high and everybody's worked so hard, whether you're first overall like the Bruins or you scrape your way in like, uh, uh, you know, teams did right at the end, whether it's Florida, who would have you yeah. that, uh, that get in and you get the pleasure of playing like the Bruins. But, uh, hey, all of a sudden the new season starts and uh, – you see a lot of uh, determination, so it's a fun night to watch, and we look forward to our uh, snapshot of that. You were on the uh, bench. You were assistant coach. Chicago wins the Stanley Cup. I was wondering if maybe at any point during that year, and that was a heck of a team, did you kind of take a moment and say, you know, we got something going here. Like, this could be something really special. Did yeah. you know it? Well, I, I think you get, uh, again, I get back to the individuals and the people that you're around and the level of uh, of confidence that goes along and uh, a lot of things went over uh, happened over the course of that year that uh, I I don't think you ever see somebody uh, win a championship without talking about the adversities that they went through the year and there were certainly some there but uh, it's amazing when you're around a uh, 
And you've experienced it before when in your uh, your championship in Charlotte as well. There's there's just a couple moments where there's some, some doubt in there, and then mm-hmm. uh, you come out on the right side of it. So there's some luck involved. I think uh, uh, certainly some coaching, watching uh, the way Joel Quinville handled his situations and handled the bench uh, certainly was very impactful. But uh, hey, that's a uh, those are special, special moments, and uh, that's something that you're always striving for. How much of your job is managing um, emotion as well as just coaching? Isn't that a big part of it? Because you're, you're dealing with kids in their teenage and young 20s, and there's still yeah. a lot of emotion there. Yeah, there is, and uh, it's not always on the ice during the game. It's uh, being able to... Uh, uh, make sure that they're getting enough rest at night to right. understand that. Uh, right. I don't know. There's been a lot of studies saying you shouldn't be on your phone for 45 minutes before you uh, go to bed. Those kind of little things that yeah. go along that uh, turn into a little bit of parental advice as much as anything. And then you you see a Brian and Sylvia alone and have a baby and you, right. you, you realize yeah, that, that's uh, out the window there. Yeah, you're dealing with some mature young men. So it... Uh, to me, it's just fun to be around the guys, and you know it as well as I do, uh, that uh, uh, there there's some highs and lows, and there's some maturity, and you take uh, someone like our first-round uh, uh, young young man and Simon Nemec or, or Alexander Holtz, uh, what have you, and there you just get to see so much growth in mm-hmm. such a short period of time. And again, I think you just consider that a real pleasure to be around. When you look at the matchup, Laval, what, is there any, like, points you say this sticks out to me i think we got them here they're really good here we got to be careful obviously both teams are quite capable yeah i think uh, uh there's another area i think uh you know you give it a pretty good analysis and i think they're the leading scoring team and they generate the most offense over the last month and a half and they've got some bodies back from uh, montreal obviously with uh, the, the the end of their season so we know they're dynamic we know they can score goals we know they like to lean that way so yeah. it's managing that part of the game for us i think we uh, have made that uh, clear to our players that uh, if we have a level of responsibility and uh, in all honesty i think that was our uh, identity right from the beginning of the year there's going to be some good goaltending we have to play hard games uh, our goals against were really strong at the beginning of the year, and uh, it wasn't translating into wins, but I think we stuck with it. I think we believe in that identity, and uh, we've gone through a lot of bodies, and it's the culture of the room that keeps that as a priority. And, uh, and uh, you know, we, 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 we have to win. We have to have everybody going. That's a big difference for us. I intend on having you back for round two against Toronto. Thanks for doing this. All right, Jason. Thanks, bud. We'll come right back after this. Welcome back on 94.9 on K-Rock. Jason Shai, the broadcast booth. Happy to be joined by the defenseman, one of the defensemen for the Utica Comets, Mr. Zach Hayes. Zach, how are you doing, and uh, how was practice this morning? Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. Um, it was good. We uh, got some touches in. It was short, just kind of right. getting back into the swing of things after a day off. Um, it kind of allows us to touch the puck get kind of our legs going again so then we can hit practice hard tomorrow before we yeah. head to uh yeah. fans are hearing this now in, in advance of it so 
um, or actually we're, we're recording before the game, so just keep that in mind as we talk. But I want to talk to you about you know where you came from, what your transition like coming here to Utica. Uh, I don't know if you saw any moves coming on your side of it. Um, you started off in the Western Hockey League with Prince Albert. Yep. And then you went over to play pro. I assume you signed an NHL deal with Vegas? Um, so I originally started with an AHL deal. Okay. After or my 21-year-old season and then signed an entry level in the, in the spring that year, in that shortened season. And then what was it like? We're, I was just actually talking about this with uh, Josh Philman, who was younger than you when he turned pro. He thinks he's only 19. But you, you go from the Western Hockey League to playing in pro hockey – was it a, was it culturally different? Was it the, the hockey significantly different? What was the biggest adjustment you had to make as well? Um, I think the biggest thing for me was just uh, like being far from fe- uh, friends and family. Okay, like yeah. that was kind of the biggest. You're a thing. Calgary kid, yeah. yeah. Uh, just in junior, you have your billets, um, right. you have your billet family. Um, I was pretty fortunate that I had. Um, my parents come up to the games all the time in Prince Albert. How uh, far is Prince Albert from? It was about six and a half, seven. And they would still make that They'd journey? Quite oh, a bit. really? Wow. And, well, and we'd play games through Alberta all yeah. the time. Yeah. And my grandma would always drive four hours to come watch us in PA. So um, just kind of being a little bit farther from home was the biggest thing. But I was pretty fortunate that uh, a, guy with, a guy that I played with, Braden Pahal, okay. in junior, um, he was in Vegas with me as well. So we kind of played. We played six years together, so wow. that, having that familiar face That's really a big helped. deal yeah. to help. And I know I was, talk, I was talking to Phil, and he had uh, Isaac Poulter play with him in the Western Hockey League. He must have played against Poulter in the, yep. in the Western League. He must yep. have played against some of those guys, too. So what was, what's Henderson like? I, never, I mean, I know Henderson only is a city because they have a hockey team now, but I never heard of it before. Um, it's basically Las Vegas. It's the same thing. Like, really? No, They're that close? If, yeah. If you if you had no clue that Henderson was a completely different city, it's just it's attached. It's like L.A. and Anaheim. So it's like a idea. suburb of, of Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah how, exactly. how much? So I mean, I guess you can get a lot of trouble playing for, for Henderson <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not careful. Did you uh, Did you like spending time in that? Because cl- the climate's quite different from Calgary, and you're in the south. But basically, it must be hot in February. What's that like? Yeah, it's definitely like you're able to go golfing year-round. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Is like you're able to do those outside activities uh, year-round. You don't have to worry about the snow or your cold car, weather. Scraping off your car when you yeah. get off a road trip in <laughs> yeah, Utica and exactly. being outside for another 30 minutes after it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I lived so. in Charlotte for 13 years and, and I was talking with Riley Nash who I, you know, I've had him as a rookie. I've seen him obviously I've known him for a long time and he came back around to sign in Charlotte and I said, man, doesn't because the travel's tough because you're flying all the time. Mm-hmm. He goes, but when you land in February in Charlotte and you, you step off the plane, you go, oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all. And it's it's like that. You're, you're in Las Vegas, you're in Henderson, and you don't have to worry about all the stuff that comes along with being in the north. I mean, it's just I, I didn't realize how soft it made me being in the south for 13 years. It makes you soft when you come back up here in, in, the, in the freezing cold. It's an adjustment. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was the biggest thing. I'd go to the rink and in sandals yeah. and pants and a hoodie and then I'd walk out in sandals shorts underneath and uh, a t-shirt yeah so. it is amazing there's no doubt about it. what's the fan what are the fans like in Henderson yeah they're great really uh, yeah they're big no one really thinks of Las Vegas being a great hockey city yeah but now that you've got the Golden Knights right. and Henderson like they get great crowds all the time great support great fan base so so you played in the NHL a couple of games? Yeah, yeah. I played uh, three games with Vegas last Tell, year. Take me through what that was like for you. Uh, it was super exciting. Um, where, was, where was the first game, at home or away? Uh, away. I was in, uh, so we flew from, 
uh, there's a I have a pretty long story with it You're where fine with it. Go ahead. where um, yeah so there it was trade deadline day last year and um, Dodonov that whole deal where he like got traded but then didn't because of his uh, contract his no move oh, yeah. clause who was that uh, Guinea Dodonov oh Dadanov yeah. yeah I had him as a as a player in Charlotte yeah, yeah. so then. Um, there was like a lot of moving parts. Like some guys got called up already, and they were on the way to the airport. And then they turned around and they told me to, that I have to go up as well. So there's four of us that flew on one of the owner's private jets to uh, Minnesota um, to meet the team. Um, but we didn't know who was playing. We didn't know like the situation. We just kind of all assumed like, hey, like we're just going up. Like you never know. Um, and then we land at 5:45. Um, on, on game day? On game day. We're meeting the team there. We line at 545, and two of us get a text saying, hey, you guys are playing. Get to the rink. <laughs> the game's at 7? Yeah. So <laughs> we pull up to the rink at 615. So and I have almost s- on the ice for warm Yeah, so I have like five minutes to get dressed. Like guys are lining up to go out on the ice by the time we're walking in with our to change. Who was so. the other guy? Who was with you? Um, there was me, Paul Cotter, um, Jonas Ronberg, and Daniel Miramanov. Okay. Were the, were the who, four guys. Who ended up playing? You and who else? Uh, I think it was Cotter. I can't remember, okay. though. But okay. it wasn't his first game. Okay. But it was All mine. Right. So it was, a little, yeah. it was yeah. a little bit of a rush. A little, didn't get to do the rookie lap because I was late for warm-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But got to go no no helmet, which was pretty cool. Cause <laughs> that's always kind of like growing up, you always see that. And, yeah. then, um, yeah. and then just because it was last minute, like... Um, like friends and family weren't able to come out right um but then uh we played the next night in winnipeg so then i had um i had some people come out like my family a couple friends um so that was nice to have like those people that uh have been supporting you for oh, yeah. so long w- was mom and dad able to come to winnipeg yeah and yeah, how about was your, was your grandma able to come no she wasn't unfortunately. okay all right but she i'm but, sure she watched yep yeah, yep yeah, she watched so then it was nice to have like people that have been supporting you for so long through junior and like having your parents there no for doubt. one of those moments was uh, pretty cool so you're you can drive from this is something i know about calgary uh geography in canada you can drive from calgary to winnipeg yeah what's that what's the distance uh, i don't know is it, it was, significant yeah it was like 12 oh, so they, hours. they made it they made a long journey. yeah so like they because they knew that they weren't making minnesota they're like okay we're gonna get in the car i got it so they so then, went they yeah went so then they drove and then um and then I had some people drive from other places. So uh, that were like a couple of buddies lived in um, like North Dakota, I think. So okay, they just yeah, you just go and, north yeah. and, and go that way. Um, third, third game then, or was it only two? Uh, I had three, and then um, the third game was it back in Vegas. Okay, so you got a home game. Yeah, you got a home game, so which was pretty cool. My mom was actually in town for that one. So. What was it like, the atmosphere in that building? I, I mean, I've only seen it on TV. I can only imagine what it was like. I mean, it must be because it was... I think did Vegas make the playoffs last year? I don't think uh, they did. No, not last no, year. not last year. But still, yeah, it's it's a great atmosphere. It's uh, loud. Uh, it's loud, always yeah. it's always a party there. So it's got to be. They kind of really bring that into uh, embrace the Las Vegas culture. It's a it's a show. They put on a show yeah. every game, and that's one of the things that they they did. And I think the rest of the league was like, we better step up our game. But also credit to Vegas, the organization, because they realized if you're going to be a team in Las Vegas, you can't just it's got it's got to be theatrical. It's yep. Las Vegas, Nevada, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing. Like people come for the pregame show, like they're right, like all that. Like usually in some places, like people are still filling in halfway through the first. Where <laughs> yeah, in yeah, Vegas, yeah. Everyone's in their seats. Yeah, you look at Tr- games at Toronto. Nobody's even in their seats in those those suite level. You know, yep. they're all down there 
kibitzing while they drink uh, whatever they're drinking. So, um, what was uh, your brothers and sisters growing up in Calgary? Yep. And did anybody? Do you have brothers play hockey? Anything like that? Uh, they like uh, brother played hockey growing up a little bit. Okay. Um, Older, and younger, Raft, younger. Okay. And then um, uh, sisters played. Uh, Ringette growing up, so what? What's that? Uh, ringette. What is that? It's uh, it's similar to hockey. Um, is that nice? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've never heard of it. I don't know. It's a pretty big sport up in Canada, actually. So it's same same as a hockey rink. Um, I don't even know if we have. We probably wouldn't have them. There's ringette lines are called like on top of the on top of the circles. Okay. Like Face off dots. Um, and then they've got like a bunch of different rules. So instead of offsides, you have to pass over the blue lines. So. And you can only have three people in um, on the where that ring out line is. You can only have three people in on the offense at a time. Is it still a goalie? And yeah, goalie, but they don't have like a, a conventional glove. It's like a second blocker with a glove on the inside. Maybe I have seen this actually. It's pretty like supposedly my sister always says it's the fastest sport in the world. <laughs> it's the fastest. I, fastest I think, growing. I, I don't know if it's fastest growing, but she says it's like quick just because there's not a lot of whistles. Like there's. It's just go, go, go all the time, I guess. I, I'm not 100% sure. She always okay. she says that to me. So. <laughs> you just nod your head and go, all right, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, Don't need to start an argument. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, this team that you're on now, um, you came into it in, in, in really every game, almost early on was like a playoff game. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go on a long losing streak in the North Division. And there was some ups and downs along the way. But one of the ups was the game that was played in Syracuse that was a comeback game and won in overtime. Now, that's pretty... I, now, I was saying this, too. The win actually didn't matter in the, in the, in the long term because you mm-hmm. end up playing Laval. But it did a lot, I think, for the morale of the team. Yeah. Um, like, just being here for the last two months, um, just talking to guys, and, like, from what uh, the coaches have said is, like... And you can kind of put it together being the closest team here, but there's a huge rivalry between Syracuse yeah. and Utica. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've only played them a couple times, so like maybe I don't have that same like yeah. that that yeah. same passion as some of the yeah, yeah exactly like when you play a team so many times like you get tired of them for sure. So I I don't really have I definitely see where that comes from um, with these guys and just how much like a win like that means to them um, and means to the team like like you said morale wise. What, um, what were you thinking when you were on the bench? And it was, I don't even know. Oh, you scored in that game. Yeah, yeah you scored from the from the left side. Yeah. I don't know what it hit. I thought it hit something, but whatever. What I think it's just knuckle puck. Okay, ninety five miles an hour, <laughs> just under the bar. Yeah. yeah, it was a really good team win. Yeah, um, I think that that's a big thing for us uh, going into the playoffs. Um, you can't really have that no. You have to have that no quit attitude yeah, because, yeah. like that showed, like anything can happen. For Any sure. game can happen. There's been bigger comebacks, and crazier things have happened in the world in no general. Doubt. So no it's doubt. like, yeah. it's like at any point anything can happen. So you just have to keep going until the last uh, buzzer. What was your furthest playoff run in Prince Albert? Did you uh, have any? Yeah, we won uh, the WHL championship oh, my 19 year old year. What? Yeah. Oh, so what year would that have been? In, in um, 2000. It would have been so the year before the everything shut down. Yeah, it was 2019. Yeah, 2019 was the year we won. And you won the Western Hockey League that yeah, year, and yeah. you went to the Mem Cup. Yep. And yep. what happened there? That was in Halifax. Uh, we uh, ended up losing all three games. Oh, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, we weren't able to break the slump. The Western League's had a tough go. I was gonna uh, say, has the Western League won? Uh, won the last time Brandon or something uh yeah something like that but the western league hasn't won even a game in the memorial cup the western league winner hasn't won a game in the memorial cup 
in years for yeah. whatever reason, whether it's we like to say it's because the Western League's harder. Oh, yeah. But, uh, by the time you get there, you're probably exhausted from the travel. Yeah, there's a lot more travel. I think, and did Edmonton win a Western League Cup once? I don't they know. won it last year. They won it last year? Yeah. Okay, that's where I remember it from. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was talking this with, with Philman and Poulter, too. To travel in the Western Hockey League is not easy. I don't know what Prince Albert is like. Uh, it's not terrible, but it's not great as well. Like, we play Saskatoon a bunch. They're, what's your longest bus That's an hour and a half. Okay, that's not bad, um, And then, so we play them a bunch. And then Moose Jaw, Swift, um, Regina are all, like, three and a half, four and a half hours. Okay. And then when I was playing... Um, Brandon, we'd do Dave game travel sometimes, which is, and it was seven and a half hours. Come on. So we'd go to no. the bus in the morning, drive seven hours and play that night. Are you serious? Yeah. We do home and homes with them all the time. Um, <laughs> that's changed a little bit now that say. Winnipeg's in the league. They'll do a, a Manitoba road trip. So they'll go Brandon, Winnipeg and come back. But then even when Winnipeg wasn't in the league, we'd go, uh, we'd have to go two times a year, 12 hours to Cranbrook, BC. What? Which was twelve hours. In what our, was, what's who, does Winnipeg play in the MTS Center? Uh, no, they play out of the University of Manitoba Arena right now. Okay, all right. Okay, jeez, that, that's seven. That's, I never heard of anybody going seven and a half hours. Yeah, and so you get off the bus. You're, I mean, I don't know what you feel. Are you in sleeper buses? Uh, no, regular bus. Oh, oh man. yeah, you definitely learn how to. Wow. You, you learn how to fall asleep. You learn how to have naps, and uh, you, I think it's really good. Like, helps keep you mentally engaged. Like, you just. Does it? it? I don't know. You just kind of learn. Like, definitely the first couple of years, like, when you're young, like, it's definitely tough to, like, be ready to go at the puck drop. And they're always tough, like, seven and a half hours of travel and then going to play a game. But I think uh, that was kind of the biggest thing for – we had pretty a pretty similar team from my 17-year-old year up to my 19-year-old year when we won. So I think that was, like, the biggest thing is, like, we kind of learned and grew together. And um, having, like, that – that kind of core group of guys yeah. uh, be able to go through adversity together For like sure. that um, helped us out a lot in the long run. When you say you played home and home in a seven and a half hour ride, that means after the game is done, you drive back home and play them again? Yeah. But you wouldn't get home till probably 6 a.m. Yeah. And then you have a game that night at 7. Yeah. I mean, it's not even fair. And, some, and sometimes we had three and threes. We'd play, like, there was one time where we played in Brandon, and then we bust back, played in PA. And then we played a one o'clock game in Regina, four hours away on on Sunday. So, it's uh, wow. Yeah, I, I had no idea. It was I mean that's that's pretty bad. That obviously, would never happen in pro hockey. Yeah, you'd ho- you'd hope not. No, I think they I think they can rule in through. Yeah, I remember when I, my first couple of years in the American League. It's a long time ago now. I think I did seven and nine. We had seven and nine once. Okay. So it's just it's bananas. Like you're mm-hmm. doing four and five, take a day off, play three and three. Like it's the hockey's horrible. Nobody wants to play. Yeah, I think at that point your body's just kind of yeah. You're just getting through it at that yeah. point. You're getting through it. And the three and threes are tough that way too. Mm-hmm. That's not going away, although they've reduced it a lot. But you can only play so much hockey in any given amount of time where you just you'll run out of energy and your and your mind is is fried from having to focus as long as you do. Yeah, that's the tough thing with three and threes sometimes is just uh, you want to make sure it's good quality hockey for the right, fans. Right, like they're right. paying their hard-earned money for no the game. So you, and that's the biggest thing. Like you want to put on a show for them and you want to win for them. So yeah, um, I agree. I when agree. when you have those tough stretches and yeah, what can you do? Yeah, you just got to try and do what you can and. Um, Play as best hockey as you can. Who's been your deep pair since you, Robbie Russo? Yeah, most of the time. And what's it, what's it been like uh, playing with Robbie? He's good. Got uh, been around a long yeah, he, time. Yeah, he's played quite a bit. Uh, I've played against him a little bit as well. Right. He was in San Jose, um, so I kind of had a familiarity with his game. Um, 
and I, I think we complement each other well. I He's agree. a lot more offensive. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like to sit back and be a lot more defensive. So I, I think that allows us to go to our strengths and and work within them because um, I love seeing guys like for me I love seeing guys like that be able to go up and jump up in the rush and right. feel confident that he knows that I'm going to be back for him. So and I mean I. I Don Cherry would say this all the time, but the deep pairs matter more than the forward lines in terms of having the, your six defensemen, you're playing six, on, on the same page and moving together in simpatico. Because if you're not and you're out of sorts, forget it. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, uh, you really got to have like that... Um Chemistry? Yeah, the chemistry. <laughs> you really got to have that chemistry with your deep partner. Um, and that comes with just playing with each other. Who did you grow up wanting to play like? Um, you're gonna pick. You're gonna say Dion Phaneuf because you grew up in Calgary. I don't know. Like I, I definitely. Um, Jake Omister playing in Calgary when you yeah, were there. Yeah. So when I was younger, my favorite player was uh, Jordan Leopold. Actually. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and then it went to Jay Bomeister. Okay. Um, Mark Giordano to to uh, in, in the now probably too old to now. Uh, no, too young you, rather. No, uh, Jay Bomeister was my favorite player, and then after that. Um, I didn't really have like a favorite defenseman on the team. I was kind of like a Flyers and Flames fan. Flyers? Yeah, because my dad's a big Flyers fan. Is that right? Really? Yeah. So well, then, how did he end up a Flyers fan? Just, just is? Yeah. But he my, grew up in Calgary, your dad? Um, in a small town uh, in Amisk. And then did you watch? What were the, fly, were the Flyers? Any, they haven't been good forever, uh, though. They were, they, in the Stanley Cup, they were in the Stanley Cup Finals that one year. Against oh, against Chicago? Chicago. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, uh, other than that, once I started to get older, I didn't really... Yeah. Like, you kind of... I. I don't know, just playing maybe you don't I'm really saying, have that favorite team anymore. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And then especially like now, uh, like in pro, you just kind of, you, you cheer for the team that's, <laughs> that's paying you. <laughs> I say it all the yeah, time. Yeah, like, Who's your favorite team? Whoever writes the checks, yeah, exactly. I'll cheer for it. Yeah. Can't really have a favorite team anymore. So. No, no, it's too hard. And plus, like you said, you're saturated in this thing. You're enmeshed in it, and they get out of the game watching more hockey. Some guys do. Some guys are, in, are in, and that's okay, but I have to unplug. I can't do it 24-7. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did it for a long time. Most of my most of my career, I was all, after the game's done, watching hockey, watching hockey, but at some point, you get burned out. Yep, exactly, and that's the biggest thing. Welcome back on Comets Insider. You heard from Kevin Deneen, the head coach of the Utica Comets, who we're going to try to get again on the show. Uh, just the way the timing works out with the series and how you have to get interviews, it's very difficult to get them while the play is, while playoffs are actually uh, ongoing on game days and, and travel days. So we talked to Kevin before the series. You can see how pumped up he was. And if you're watching that game, you can see how pumped up he was when it was over. Just a lot to really like about the way the team played. A lot to like about just their disposition, about their attitude, their swagger, the mentality of everything going into it. It seems like a group that was, I mean, if you were here, I mean, I, I tried, I'm trying to explain it now. What it was like in this building on Friday when they beat Laval. It was an extraordinary game because even though Utica was down one nothing, and even though they were down one nothing very, very late in the third period, if they didn't win that game on Friday and they came in the building on Saturday, they were gonna win the game five nothing again. 6 nothing, 6-1. They wouldn't have lost. They were just too much for Laval. And I was shocked to see Laval had no real push in that game. It was genuinely shocking to me at the lack of emotion that Laval had and then the overpowering emotion that was displayed by Utica in the game. 
going back to that Zach Hayes interview, you know, you want a, a player. He comes in to the to the uh, to the team, and it's a seamless transition. Those are the kinds of players that mean so much. Those are the kinds of players that make a, a just a massive difference when they come in your lineup, and then you say, "We can't take him out because he's been that steady and that good and that effective." It's it's really something to watch a player just so effective at his position and make it look so easy when I can assure you it is not. And someone, by the way, who knows his own skill set and what it's rooted in, and that is, first and foremost, just being a great defenseman. Well, let's quickly, I want to go over the Toronto matchups. I want to go over it with you and talk about that because, and then we're going to go back to the sound of the games on on Friday. We have to do that. Uh, But, you know, the comments are looking at it. If you're just looking from the outside, you're thinking, well, what are we going to do here? You're, you're, playing against, you're playing against Toronto, a team that was able to win the North Division and kind of run away with it. But the truth is, in their last 10 games, they were 2-6-2. and two. That's the truth. And they had not won many games at all heading down the stretch. Their team has been really jarred by the number of players who left their lineup. I mean, they went through a lot of players. If I just looked at the list of defensemen that were uh, that were on the team over the course of the entire season, we're talking almost 15 defensemen have played for them at the at this point, and they've had eight goalies play for them during the course of the season. That is, I mean, they went through a lot of players, and a lot of their top players are were no longer with the team as well. They're not the same team that had defeated the Comets. Uh, many times over the course of the early portion of the season. They're just not that team. Their roster had been, you know, turned over quite a bit. Now, they do have some great players, Logan Shaw, Alex Steves, Nick Ebrazizi, Simeon Dergachinsev, Joseph Blandisi, Nolan Hoffenmeyer. These are good players. I mean, they are, they are very good players. If anybody thinks it's going to be an easy run at it, you're wrong. It's not going to be. Uh, the question is, can their goaltending hold up? That'll be a question. Uh, and and who has the stamina to really win this thing when it's all said and done? I mean, it's going to come down to who winning game one puts you in significant advantage to win the series. And I think game one, these five game series, I think game one tells a, a massive story that it does not tell in a seven game series. And we'll see what comes out of it. I had known early on in the first Laval game, as I mentioned previously in this broadcast, that the Comets were going to win the, win the series. I knew five minutes in. It was very evident. We'll see if the first five to ten minutes is indicative of anything in Toronto. Um, I think we're going to see a Comets team that is continuing to be inspired. And I would expect uh, the Comets to come out with tons of fire. Now, it is very difficult to keep up the emotion after a huge emotional win that's what that was in the last game but they'll have a few days to sort of you know take a breath they'll have a few days to relax they've had a couple of days off which is very nice for them because it's very stressful to play in the playoffs but the Comets have had that and I think that they'll use it to their advantage uh, playing against uh, Toronto the last time these two teams met by the way and we're going to go to that last time which was on April 7th. The Comets played 
at home and de- defeated them 5 nothing in that game. So let's just be aware of that. The last time they were they fought uh, they, they battled each other before that, you have to go all the way back to February 20th. So we're almost talking about 6 weeks between that team, between the trade deadline and all the acquisitions made by Toronto for the big club. And so again, not the same team, but that does not mean you're stepping on the ice against an easy opponent. That is for sure. Well, I can't help it. I got to bring us the sounds of the game again. I got to go back to the tying goal on Friday night. Riley Walsh ties the contest. We got to talk about that again. Two seconds left. The crowd went crazy. I've never heard the building that loud. Second clicked off. Okay, okay. 17.5 back on. Here we go. Face off to Primo's left. Comets win it cleanly. Walsh. To Holtz. 11 seconds left. His shot was blocked. He gets it back. Holtz delivers it down low. They move it to Walsh. Five seconds to go. Nemitz. Walsh. Firing star. The crowd was chanting. They wanted a shot. They knew that it was coming down to the last second. Alex Holst gets it up top to Nemec, gets it over to Riley Walsh and just buries it. I don't think Primo saw it. 1-1. Two seconds left before we head to overtime. Yeah, it was 1-1. I mean, it was just uh, Riley Riley Walsh was celebrating. The the crowd was going crazy. And then uh, here it is, folks, once again. And why not? Powerlick tying up with his man Schooneman. It comes the other way for Tyler Watherspoon. Bouncer to the left side of Primo. Now on the point for Nemitz. He'll deliver it to Talvetti. This looks like a power play. But it is not. It's five on five continuing here in overtime. Powerlick along the boards. Help on the point. Nemitz has it again. He'll roll it back down the left wing side. It's Xavier Perron twisting and turning. Looking for an outlet. He's got it now in Nemitz. Nemitz waiting. Shooting. Scores! Utica wins the game. Utica wins the series. And they go on. Simo Nemec with a great look to Sam LaBerge. Stick down in front. Gets a great tip. And the Comets move on to face the Marlies. moment uh what a game uh not one i'm going to forget anytime soon that was incredible well comments inside of the good news is we're going to keep going <laughs> we got one plan for next week there's going to be a comment cider next week and there'll be a comments insider the week after that it'll be uh, a lot of fun to have it for you we'll have all the calls all the the uh, the good stuff uh, whatever comes our way it'll be a big matchup against toronto on thursday join us for that on 94.9 k rock we'll be on the broadcast jason shy is saying good night we'll see you in toronto